Welcome to the Team Radical Podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to everything hunting and the great outdoors. If you guys love every aspect of hunting and the camaraderie that goes along with it, I promise you will love this podcast. Please make sure to leave us some positive reviews and those five stars. We appreciate it. Now, let's get to the show. All right, everyone. It's been a hot minute since uh, we've been on here. I know last time we were on here on the podcast, uh, we were near the end of the turkey season. And then we had our final week of turkey season. And long story short, we ended up turkey season, I think, between 20 and 25 gobblers uh, across multiple, multiple states. Uh, we'll have a bunch more of those episodes going on our YouTube channel and everything like that later on. But uh, today we are now going to be starting to talk about deer hunting and uh, some of the preparations going into the 2021 season. I don't think I mentioned this, but I am the host of the Team Radical podcast, Kyle Harmon. And uh, really looking forward to this podcast today, having a longtime team member and a absolute big buck slaying machine guy, uh, Joel Eggers, on the phone today. And this guy is in southern Illinois and has put down some absolute giants, including one of the largest typicals ever with the bow and arrow. Um, I don't know how many years ago that was, but uh, the guy is full of knowledge and really looking forward to this podcast. Some of the things we'll be talking about today is, you know, what we're going to be doing differently in 2021 in preparation for the season. And uh, I really want to talk about uh, scrapes. I'm going to be talking about some preparations on scrapes and how I'm going to utilize them and how Joel will too. Um, for the 2021 season so with no further ado let's hop on the phone now with Mr. Joel Eggers all right here on the phone I've got Mr. Joel Eggers on the phone how are you tonight Joel I'm doing good how are you Kyle pretty good what have you been up to this summer this is the first time you've been on the podcast and uh really looking forward to this and introducing you to everybody here on um the Team Radical podcast yeah been been staying busy uh doing electrical work that's my full-time job and uh take off a little bit because I do farm on the side. That's my hobby and uh, the land and the farming is kind of my passion. I'd love to be able to do it full time sometime in the future, but as of right now, I just don't quite pay the bill. But let's, uh, but, but let's be honest, uh, electrician and farming is not all that you do either. I mean, what don't you do? <laughs> I mean, you do, I know <laughs> what else you got storage units or something? I, you got all kinds I do. of stuff. I've got rental property. I've got storage units and, uh, yeah, we've got Tri-County going on. I'm actually, there's, I've got one, one, uh, rental house left and the market's been good. I sold one last summer and their tenants are moving out at the end of this month and we're going to go in and pretty much gut a lot of it and get it on the market as quick as we can, hopefully within 10 days. And we're going to try to get rid of it and put some of that towards more of the land and the farming is my, my goal with that. Right on. Mr. Entrepreneur over there. I guess, but I'm getting tired of having too many irons in the fire, and I need to kind of kind of get get in line and, and do a few things better than a lot of things not yeah. so well. It's it's a lot harder when you got little ones too, isn't it? Yep, yep. That <laughs> came in and to the picture too. You know, got a, got a three-year-old turning three in July. Oh, so. man. I feel you there. I feel you there. But wouldn't change that for the world, right? No, no, and that's got to be the most – most important and number number one pretty much for me and and that's another reason to kind of slow down on a few things sure sure well hey man tonight uh wanted to call you and hop on the podcast and talk a lot about um preparations for the 2021 season and um talk about obviously we're going to be talking about scrapes a little bit later too but first i want to start off i want to talk about 
you are the owner, you and Rachel, uh, your wife, of Tri-County Whitetails, which is an outfitting business. You started up, was that last year or two years ago? Last year was the first year, yes. Last year was we the had, first year. Yep, we had seven hunters last year, and uh, I guess out of the seven hunters, there was four bow hunters, three gun hunters, a five-day bow hunt with the four, and then a three-day first shotgun season here in Illinois. And uh, we had, out of the seven, we had four shot opportunities on mature deer, five and a half and plus, and we killed three of those. So unfortunately, we didn't make a bad shot on the one, and that does happen every once in a while. But I did, I had him on trail camera all the way up to February. I didn't find his sheds, but he was alive in February yet. So, so uh, yes, it was. I was very happy with that. I think it's going to be hard to top that per, top percentage on mature deer, over 50% shot opportunity. On yeah. mature deer, so yeah, that this is we were happy. This is all in southern Illinois, right? You are correct, southern okay. Illinois. So I was kind and, of blown away by the outfitting business, and I know we've talked on the phone in the past by it, but uh, you know, if you guys didn't know, <clears throat> which you probably don't, because Joel is like a hermit and he doesn't <laughs> do social media much or anything like that. But Joel is a straight no, up <laughs> big buck killing machine, and not when I say big buck, I mean the most mature buck on the premises, he is going to get him. I mean, just they are not safe with Joel Eggers. And he is the pickiest person I've ever seen <laughs> when it comes to a whitetail. If it doesn't meet the certain cri- criteria, you're not shooting it. You don't matter if it's a four and a half or seven and a half. It's like you're not shooting it. But I was kind of blown Most away. Of- you started this outfitting business, and I kind of want yep. you to explain to our listeners why you decided to start it and what the goal is for it and going forward with it. Um, kind of fill me in. Like, yeah. why, why'd you start? Okay. Well, I can, I killed a big deer back. Well, I killed several big, big deer back. Oh, seven, oh, nine. I killed two of my biggest deer. And my dad said something about, you You know, you got the hobby that you love and you put so much time in, you need to look into outfitting. I was like, outfitting? No way. Never, not, not going to happen. And, you know, as, as a couple of years moved on, I, a lot of, a lot of uh, neighbors pushed in around me and I wasn't seeing them 180 inch deer like I was prior. So what can I do? What can I do? Maybe I should outfit and, and cause I'm wanting to kill 170 plus inch deer and uh, maybe I should get, get started with outfitting, try it. And I tossed it around a couple of years. No, I'm not going to do it. Finally, I decided my wife and I that, Hey, let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. You know, we got a couple small properties and let's see where it goes and that's basically what we, we did and it in my opinion opens up opportunities for me since last year we've got another lease this year Rachel and I was able to buy another farm basically because of the income we're going to have from Tri-County and so that's two new farms that I'm going to have that puts me up around 10 farms that that I'll be kind of over we we I I guess there's actually five that between Rachel and I we have three and mom and dad have two so and then I, I've got permission and a lease on a couple other. That's 10 properties. And Kyle, you know, as, as far as I do, if you're looking for 170 inch deer to kill, there's very few properties that's going to have that on it every year. So the more properties you have, the better chance that you might be able to find that 170 to chase that fall. And that's, that's, a, that's probably my main reason of the outfitting. It gets me out there more and more. And as I've gotten busier, this, it, it makes me do it what I love. And, uh, so that's probably, that's why I do it more than anything. It's the opportunity. And it's also awesome. A lot of these 140, 150 inch deer, I mean, we killed a, 
a giant seven or eight year old deer last year. They, this this guy, he's my age, thirty four, the biggest deer he's ever killed, and he was just ecstatic. And I got to be part of that. So to me, that part of it was awesome. So far, we've really enjoyed it. We've had great guys in camp, and uh, and how big how big I, was that great big one? Because I know you, Joel, you're all about net, and I that's for fishing. So give me the gross number what that white tail was because it was a big on one. on the one that the uh, the guy killed last year with a bow. Yeah, it's he, real he wide. Was mature. Well, there was there we got killed three nice ones, but that one that I was talking about, it field dressed two hundred right at two hundred thirty pounds, I believe. It was a seven or eight year old deer. He had a jacked up side on one side, just a big park with a little trash, and then a big four point side on the other. So I I honestly don't even know what that deer grossed. Okay, I'm gonna say around one fifty, but just heavy mass. Not a great genetic deer, but just a beast of a deer, and uh, he was he was super pumped, and it was it was great. And then his dad killed one right here on our home place the next morning, and it was a nine pointer that grossed right at one sixty, heavy mass, twenty one, twenty two, big frame deer. Wow. So father son, you know, evening morning, and it just it was it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, so that had to be a new experience getting to see someone you've never met before shooting their best whitetail to date like that had to be kind of special in itself i'm sure it is it was it was rewarding to me you know i I, because if you shot that deer you you wouldn't be happy with that let's face it i mean you really (sighs) right you're you're probably right i'd be questioning it and i probably 90 percent sure wouldn't have pulled the trigger on either one of them because my thing is i've never killed two bucks in one year but i'm always thinking if i pull the trigger on that 150 we got we get to kill two bucks in illinois here now, now 160, 170 is going to walk out and I'm going to get an opportunity at him. And if I wouldn't get him, my season's done. And right. that's, that's never happened. I need to let that go and <laughs> just take my opportunity at that, that five or six year old, 155 inch deer. If that, that's, but again, but that's I, not I will really, say, I will say though, too, is like, you're not just basing on rack size because you are definitely about age. And correct, I, correct. I mean, we've got video after video of you passing up very big whitetails that you felt just weren't fully developed enough yet or old enough yet to shoot. And I mean, some of them were like just crazy to me that you would even let a couple of those walk and, you know, great footage on top of it. And you just let it walk. Like it's no big deal. And I'm just, just, I mean, we're talking five and a half, six and a half year old bucks. And you're like, uh, maybe next year. And I'm sitting (laughs) going, you're crazy. Yeah. You know, I'd be pulling the bow back and and putting an arrow through them. But I know. And I've, I've, the killing don't mean quite as much to him anymore. I love watching whitetails and I'm always thinking in my back of my head, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of one in particular and I had the sheds of the deer the year before. And I'm thinking, gosh, that deer didn't put on a single inch from, from last year to this year. What can he do next year? You know, he didn't right. put on nothing this year. Was there a reason? Can he blow up next year? And you kind of know some of the genetics that run around your farmers in the last four or five, six years. I just haven't had one blow like, like used to happen. It's, and I don't know if it's the, the hunting pressure, the, the deers, maybe numbers are too high. I don't know what it is, but I just haven't had one go from 150 to 175. And I, I, I'm, if I keep putting in my time, just like anything else, a lot of farms, it's going to happen. But, but it's just it's been kind of rough the last five, six, seven years. Yeah, on having one just blow up into a giant. Yeah, and I know you've had a lot of neighborly issues. More people, yeah, moving, I've got moving in and all that good stuff. Definitely, you're going to have that anywhere. And, sure. And overall, I've got a lot of great neighbors. They're just 
maybe I, I don't know how to put that maybe a step or two behind me in their their um, growth as a mature whitetail hunter. They're they're still happy with that 145 inch four year old, and I cannot knock them one bit. They're happy with it, great for them. But at the same time, I'm going, gosh, why can't that deer get another year or two? But hey, that's hunting. We're small properties. We're we're <laughs> We work jobs, and, and it's not like we're hunting five acre, 500-acre farms. Yeah, you know, but that's, that's definitely something that I've always had a lot of respect for you because I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I know I've talked about rack size and everything, but if I don't kill a deer every year, I don't care. Nope. Um, you know, I agree. I, I want to be 100% happy with that deer when I shoot it. When I shoot that deer, yeah. there is no question, no questions asked. That's the deer I'm after. That's the deer I want to shoot game over there's no questioning back and forth there's no ground shrinkage because i already know exactly what i shot the whole shebang you know and and same with you you know reaching that mature age five and a half plus letting them try to get to their fullest potential and if you don't if you got to eat your tag you you eat your tag and it doesn't always feel good because you know once you're on a slump for however many years of not shooting one and then when you finally do it's like you know man it's it's a game changer but um that's one thing I've always respected about you, you know, because you might not fill your tag every year, but you're also chasing, you know, bucks that you just don't see every day. Most people never, a lot of people, most people will never get a shot at, at Boone and Crockett whitetail. I mean, just simple as that. And I mean, and I'm saying that on a gross fact, not, yeah, uh, not yeah. net, <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, I've, I've always respected that a lot about you and, and it's truly interesting you know, watching you over the years and just the amount of bucks that you you watch grow up and, you know, you just let them walk like it's no big deal, which most of them got hit by the neighbors. And, and I realize that definitely happens and it's frustrating, but, you know, at least you gave them every chance possible. Yep. But that's what but, you, that's what you have to do. If you want to yeah. kill those those big, big mature bucks – that's what you have to do. You have to let them walk when they're just not quite ripe, even if their rack size is astronomical. You know, um, yes. it's very hard but, to do sometimes, for sure. And then you got, you know, <laughs> what happened to me last year. You know, how many good deer have I passed over the years? And as we're talking about this, and, and you should pass them 140, 150, 160 inch, three, four year olds. And, I had a farm last year. We're going to this just a little bit, if you don't mind, because it's my yep. mess up and I yes. feel like I need to bring it out. Yes. And I didn't run cameras on, on one of my main farms, at least on majority of that farm. And I was busy farming. My crops got in late last year and I was harvesting all the way up till the end of November. And, uh, well, I got a chance to go and hit this part of the farm and go in there. Wasn't sitting there 45 minutes that evening. I hear brush going across. Going across the, the draw about 150 yards, I kept a side profile of a big tent corner and I hit him with a grunt and automatically he spun around and a stick down there and he tried to get downwind and he comes right underneath. I mean, he pops out at about 15 yards. Great, pretty good uh, video footage of him. And I'm looking at him through the viewfinders. I'm side profile, got my bow ready and I've, I've, I automatically, and I'm usually pretty modest on what I try to say a deer is. I'm thinking 165, easy. So I, I make sure my bow's ready, still in the viewfinder, zoom out, draw, grunt, all within about five, ten seconds. He stops. I make, make, he actually starts walking again because I said, made sure he was in my viewfinder. Release arrows. He's starting to take a step. I hit him, hit him back just a little bit and I 
I was upset about my shot, but I, I thought I heard him crash. I think I actually called you by a terrible service down there. And I, I thought, I think I got a 165 inch plus 10 pointer. This could be another, I uh, could be another gross boom 10 pointer is what it's looking like in my, in my head. I even rewinded the footage and, uh, it turned out to be a, a deer that I, I didn't know him. Of course, I wasn't running run trail cameras and I couldn't think any history of this deer. And it turned out to be a three or four year old 10 pointer. And, and it, it upset me that I, I did that. But at the same time, Hey, I am human. I made a mistake. I'm embarrassed by it, but I still, I mount, did a, a European mount on the deer, respectable deer. It was, a, it was a beautiful 10 pointer. Just, just not what I was, I was 10% off on his body and his, and his rack, you know, he's, he was 148 inch 10 pointer. Yep. It, it, it happened. I'm glad, and, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually been a really hot topic lately. And this is an exact perfect point to that. And I remember that because you sent me a screenshot of that deer when you shot him. And I said, yep. I said higher numbers than you just said. I said, yeah, 175, I was trying to be modest. Yeah. You always are. I'm saying 175, 180, like, this deer looks absolutely huge in this video uh, screenshot. I know. And, you know, then you found him and, uh, you know, it's kind of like you just disappeared off the face of yours. And you're like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I screwed up. And we got, yeah. we got talking about it. And and I know right now, well, Arizona banned on trail cameras now. And I'm hoping that it stops there and does not go any further. And I hope that gets turned over eventually. But the importance of trail cameras isn't necessarily where you're exactly going to hunt. Um, it's not, even with cell cameras, it's, in my opinion, anytime you get a picture of a deer, you're already one step behind them. You're not in front of them. And with trail cameras, it truly helps in, in our situation on getting a, gris, a, a grip on what is on our land. You know, what bucks are there. And we can build a storyline to those deer and watch them over the years progress. And then we can make our best guess on age. You know, are they, we think they're four, we think they're five, we think they're six, et cetera. And it helps us know that we're shooting the most mature and developed bucks out there that we possibly can, you know. And right. like you said, you were running around ragged, didn't get trail cameras out there. You had equipment to go out there and hunt. And you did. The buck caught you by surprise. It was real thick, nasty. He comes in. You only have seconds to make up your mind. Got the video camera rolling, and you shoot him. Yeah. And I remember that phone call. Like you were jacked, so excited. Yeah, I, so excited. I, I thought I was, <laughs> yeah, I was. Rightfully I was. so. You're right. And then after the fact, the next day you call. You know, you're like, I mean, totally different voice on the phone, and just really upset, not happy with yourself at all, and. And, and I hate that for you. I hate that for you, and I hate that for the deer, too. Um, yeah. Because I have made that exact same mistake. Actually, years ago, I, I did it on a big buck that I thought was a great, big, mature six-pointer. And I'm like, hey, it's late in the season. This buck is not going to be nothing. Um, he's mature. I've got another tag. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot him. Shot the buck. Only ran 30 yards. Fell over dead. Long story short, I go up there to find out that he had broken both G3s yeah. completely off. It would it was a beautiful buck. It, it would have I mean, he would have been a great buck. And he wasn't mature. And I was just so mad at myself. And I just said, never again. And truthfully, yep. that's one of the best things I love about trail cameras is I can I agree. I can 
I have a list of, you know, the bucks from year to year, and I guess how old they are and say, you know, if I think they're if he's five and a half or older, it's a green light for me. Unless I think they can do something crazy, but still I'm still at the point if it's five and a half or older, I'm I'm gonna I'm going after it. But um so that really sucked, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. I know that hit hard for you. Back of the trail cameras. Had I had one picture of him face on, he was only seventeen inches wide. I, it would have been a no no brainer. You could tell he was a young deer, but that side profile, three seconds from 150 yards in the timber to five to ten seconds there at 15 yards to the viewfinder, get my bow ready. That side profile has. <laughs> I'm gonna be nervous from from for the next couple of years on if I had that opportunity again, just because it's it's hard. I was 10 percent off on his body and his rack, you know, just all the way around. He was just. Yep. He's just younger than I thought, but hey. So, okay, hey, now, now Mr. Joel Eggers is going to be even pickier, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, right. Joel Eggers is going to be doing a lot of deer watching in the f- near future. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this year I let a, I let a one-sided buddy this year that he had a – he led a – right after this happened to me, he led a 170-inch eight-pointer with his – shotgun it was 15 yards and he let it let it get by and he was scared of making the same mistakes as me basically at least that was his excuse 170 inch eight yep and and a guy who's hunting on public ground and a guy about 80 yards from him shot it and when they walked up to it they were a couple of buddies got together and uh they're like watch it be that big deer wearing her after and it was (laughs) he was he he was upset it had been probably one of his biggest frame deer well, and, I don't uh, think there's very many 170 inch eights. Period. No, no, it was a that's mega. It was a giant. Yeah, but see, that's that's the thing. You get you get question. It can happen both ways. And uh, I honestly, in that situation, I think I would have rather uh, made my mistake than his. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got, if that makes me feel any better, I don't know. But you don't get a chance at a white tail like that very often at all. And I know he was very upset about it. So mistakes happen. That's we're human. And, uh, you know, it just, it just makes you disrespect other hunters, whatever they end up killing. You know, as, as a younger boy, I made some comments. I was, I was in my later teens and I was, um, I, I loved white tails. I grew up lo- loving white tails. They've been my passion since I've been a little boy. And, uh, anyway, I made, I made some comments to some guys that like neighbors that shot, you know, two and a half to three and a half year old deer that I had been passing my bow and he shoots with a gun. And now oh, I thought it was a bigger and it. I'd say, yeah, it'd be nice in a couple of years. And that's not the thing to say, you know, and uh, yeah, as I've gotten older. Because at the end I've of the day, it's, it's all about whatever just makes you happy. It doesn't matter if exactly. it's a two-year-old or a seven-year-old. Who cares? If it makes you happy and you're truly happy, shoot it. And, 100%. And, and like in your case and where I had my screw up, like we were not happy with the end result when we found our deer. And Right. That makes us feel bad, and that makes us feel bad for the deer too. I mean, yep, I, it's a whole nother ball. Like you have such a huge connection with these deer. I mean, people just don't understand it unless you're in the same boat. I mean, it's yep. you're literally thinking about deer all the time for all year long, and you're you're constantly changing things, doing things to try to try to figure out that buck, or you know, get in front of him and wait till he's this age and shoot him. And then when, because we both know what it feels like being able to do that and actually doing it. And that feeling is just priceless. It is. It's rewarding. Yep. And, but again, that shows the importance of trail cameras. And I, and I even, I was telling you that, you know, 
um, because I wanted to actually start trimming down on trail cameras just because I was getting so tired of pulling cards and yep. checking them all the time. And I wasn't really using them to hunt where I wanted to hunt. I was just seeing inventory, but man, when you pulled that off, I'm like, yep, I'm not getting rid of trail cameras. Because yep, I agree. <laughs> I, I can only drive around and see so much. And with two little ones, I mean, I've got to let my trail cameras do some work for me, and at least on the inventory side of things. got to use technology. Yep. As bad as I hate technology, it's, it's part of the game now, and, and it definitely it definitely allows us to, to do more of what we love. Well, and you got to think some of that. I mean, I don't care about record books, but you got to think some of that has definitely impacted the record books over the years and getting yeah. bigger whitetails for everybody to chase. I mean, uh, an older deer herd, um, there's no doubt it has to have some good effect to that. Yeah, I think I think it's getting a little better and better. You know, people are, are getting to where they're passing three, four-year-old deer. They grow, the, the hunters are growing, I guess, is what it's, at least around my area. It, it is getting a little better. Five, six, seven years ago, it was pretty rough. Yeah, But it, it has gotten a little better the last couple of years. But the biggest thing with that, I want to put emphasis back on this again, is that shoot what makes you happy. Because I feel like so yep. many people um, belittle so many other people that they actually lose the love of hunting. And they shoot a deer, Im- immediately after they shoot a deer, they're on the defense about the deer that they just shot. Like, oh, yeah. uh, might not have the biggest rack, but uh, he's good enough for me. Or now I can go do whatever. Um, yeah. or they make some excuse for shooting that deer. And it's like, that's, that's absurd to me. You should shoot it. what makes you happy. <laughs> I have never in my life shot a deer ever for someone else's liking or care. I, I don't care at all what anyone yeah, does or does not think of a deer that I've shot. I, I don't care at all. I mean, yeah. because <laughs> this is me, this is me putting the time in, this is my work, my effort, and if I'm happy, that's all that matters. I mean, why else would I care about what other people think? I mean, that's just crazy to me. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's honestly why, uh, you know, losing some hunters because they feel like, oh, I'm not shooting 170-inch deer. Like, I'm, I'm done hunting, you know. Yeah. And they don't realize, like, it's a process, a huge process. Not, Correct. Not, uh, not a month long or a week long or even a year long. It's yeah. years long process and with that you you develop your own love for it so obviously we all we both started at an early age of you know we shot our two and three year olds or younger like i shot a year and a half old tickled pink i mean just freaking out excited and i gradually set my standards and kept building and building and building to where i'm at today it's not like i went out first first week hunting and i don't care how old you are and said, oh, I'm shooting a booner or nothing. I mean, screw that. Because honestly, if I started out like that, I probably would have been done deer hunting years ago. You know? <laughs> yep. It's it's a, it's a gradual progress. And at the end of the day, do whatever makes you happy, um, as long as it's legal and ethical. But, 100%. Uh, yeah, so that that was a great topic, man. Because I, I remember that story. And uh, you definitely were not happy about it. And, uh, definitely, I was. Definitely I was very some, aggravated. Yep, some, <laughs> myself. But some some hard hey. lessons learned, like we all have yep. happen every all the time, you know. Yep, that's life. Yep. So with <laughs> I want to go back to the Tri County Whitetails. I guess with okay. with the outfitting thing, um, 
Are you looking to kind of keep that where it's at now, or are you still looking to expand that over the years? Um, we, what's your in-game about, result or in-game wish for the outfitting business? As of right now, you know, we've, we've got 17 hunters booked this year compared to seven last year, Wow! but it's, uh, two more, two more weeks. We got two five day archery hunts and then we got the three day gun hunt and the four day gun hunt. And, uh, I've picked up another lease and Rachel and I bought another piece of property as, as I was saying earlier. So we've, we've added some property to our, our overall, um, plan and plus two, two, two more weeks of hunting, I guess you could say. So that's why we're taking in more hunters. And we'll see how that goes. If, if I feel like the hunting's not quite as good as what I feel like it should, I'm going to have to back off or get more leases next year. But at this point where I'm at, I can only handle about four to five guys in camp at a time. I want it small. I want it personal. I'm pretty, I'm really particular about my en- entrance exits, like super particular and wind directions. And that's not, you try to have that as best you can, but the, the entrance exit, so I'm dropping them off picking them up. Um, Rachel does a little bit of that too. My dad helps a little bit. So it's very close personal as far as relationship with the guys I have in camp. I want them hunting like I do. Yeah. Basically, and if they don't want to hunt like that, then this, this, uh, out, my, uh, outfitting probably isn't for them. Yeah. And, and that's I, where I see us at about that number, but depending we could, we could be a little bit less hunters next year, depending on how it goes this year. So do you have just X amount of farms that only the hunters get to go on and then you've got one piece Correct. that you, you've you got to go on or whatever whenever you get and slip away? Is that how that works? I've got, let's see, I think six pieces that I can take people on. Five of them I or uh, my parents own and then one lease this year. And then um, I've got, I guess, let's see, I think I got four or five other properties I don't have in front of me right now that I hunt that I can't take people on. So if I get them dropped off in time, I can go slip into a stand on one of the other farms. And they're all within 15 miles of each other, 20 miles of each other. Gotcha. And so yeah. do you do you lodge these hunters too, or do they stay in hotels yes. close by? You lodge them too, okay. We lodge them. Rachel makes a breakfast and then packs them a lunch, and then uh, we have a, a big dinner in the evening. And built a walk-in cooler and, and basically setting up setting up the hunting lodge and, and it it's allowed me or made me, I guess I should say, do what some of the projects that I've been wanting to do for quite a long time. You know, as I'm getting older I don't have as many stands that are thirty foot tall, hang on, I'm converting over to ladders. Well, this is making me do it. You know, I've I've gotten I think around forty deer stands and uh ten shooting houses that I gotta maintain. So it's a lot of work. I mean I spend a lot of time out of it. I try to do it in February and March, April, but and then just go in like in your September and just, just check, make sure everything's still good. No no trees have fallen. Uh trimming your shooting lanes are still good, especially the field edge stands. They seem like they grow up so quick. Yeah. So there's just so much prep work to it, but it makes me do it and whenever that 170 or 180 does show up i can hopefully get somebody on them or I, if if it's uh, even if it's on one of the farms that there's guys there and hey he's he's i'm getting him on trail camera and it's 180 inch deer you better believe i'm going to be going in there after him mm-hmm. so yeah. it it just kept, keeps me on my edge a little bit more keeps me on my game by by doing this outfitting yeah and financially i think you know it helps drive your hobby too i mean oh 
100%. I love land, the yeah. farming and outfitting, and I love finance, financial, uh, you know, re- retirements and, and uh, investing. And I, I found other ways to make a little better money, I think, but I love the land. It's just, it is my passion and, and uh, or, I can make it work between. Yeah. And it'll, it'll always be an asset. I mean, it should be, I mean, yeah. Generation to yeah. generation, something you can pass on, but it's super cool to me yep. that, you know, you can take that, you know, and you're making people's dreams come true, literally. Exactly. And, exactly. and you can take that money and put it towards a dream come true for you. Um, reinvest it. Yeah. Reinvesting into, you know, Maybe there's a piece that comes for sale that you've always wanted your entire life, whereas otherwise you would never been able to afford that. But now, you know, you might be able to because of your outfitting business you started up on the side. Exactly. Um, that's that's what kind of drove me. It kept me out of probably a lot of trouble in my later teens and twenties. You know, I grew up watching the juries was was who I watched, and you know, they were about started buying ground and. And I was like, how can I buy it? And I was, I was dreaming, you know, in my early twenties, I was dreaming, okay, I want, I'm going to have two or 300 acres, 400 acres one day, but I was dreaming and I was still partying and, and working, but, but 40 hours a week and helping my dad on the farm a little bit. But then I got thinking, how can I actually make this work? So I started buying rental property. Now we've got storage units. I started farming and still keeping my full-time job. So you make a lot of sacrifices, but I started realizing, Hey, if this is what I really want, dreaming's great. You still got a dream but you also got to work. And that's, that's, I don't know. I, I enjoy, I've made a lot of mistakes along the way and I you wish you'd go back hindsight 2020, but I hope I write down some of the mistakes, learn from them and, and hopefully keep growing and, and, uh, and, and pass it on to your kids. I mean, yeah, you, that's, that's, that's the end goal. Of course, you know, hopefully they're interested in it. And sure. As soon as I pass away, hopefully they don't just sell it. And, <laughs> but you never know. That's right. I guess it, nothing to worry about there as far as you're gone. But, well, in my opinion, but, uh, Joel, it's better than money in the bank. Um, uh, because I agree. Money in the bank does nothing for you. I'm just telling you. Nope. It's, uh, Still got to have it there. Yeah, <laughs> you got to have some. Yep. And, and um, I look at it, too, as like an emergency fund, too. You know, if yep. push ever yeah, came yeah. to shove or if my kids were ever in serious trouble, and um, it's, it's there. And I know, yep. you know. I set it up to be what it is and I put my heart into it. And if I got to let it go, um, to help my kids or my family, I have no problem. I'll restart Correct. any day of the week, you know? Um, yep. whereas it's money in the bank with, especially with today's world, you know, who knows? Um, yeah. so I just think that's really cool though, how you've set that up and you've explained that to me before. And, um, I guess I really never looked at it that way and it totally makes sense. And it's very financially smart. Um, in my opinion, but, uh, so where can, um, if somebody wants to find your outfitting business, where can they find you at? On, online. online. <laughs> Rachel takes, takes care of most of that, but try County Whitetails and, uh, we've got a Facebook page and then we've got a website as well. Okay. So yeah, just try, try County Whitetails.com. And I'll tell you guys now that I've met a lot of people, a lot of people over the years with Team Radical and everything, all the hunting industry, you name it. There are not hardly any people out there better people than Joel and his wife, Rachel. So trust me when I say that they are great people. And if you are interested in going, I highly recommend it because these guys are first class, first class people. Well, thank you. We and, appreciate and, it. it and even a, a better hunter. Um, <laughs> I, I, you're, you're truly an awesome hunter. I've always respected you 
greatly over the years watching you and seeing what you've done. It's it's truly incredible. Um, so, yeah, find them guys on tricountywhitetails.com. They got Facebook, too. Check them out there. But um, I want to shift this now, Joel, into talking yeah. about some preparations that we're doing right now leading up to yeah. season. Um, I know you talked a little bit about uh, stands and everything, which you've pretty much got those done uh, yep. for now up until September, like you said. So what are you doing this time of year right now, or what are you doing differently this year versus years past and even last year? I'm going to say me personally. I know it don't fit for a lot, but mine is getting my crops out earlier this year, into the field, getting my everything planted. Because last year I didn't get to hunt much since I was harvesting so late in the season. So I tried, starting last winter too, I tried to have everything planned out to where I could be done with my farming by now. That way I'm harvesting in September and October. So that's really what I've been focusing on hard the last month or two is getting my crops in, getting my weed out, getting my double crops in. We're super dry here right now in Southern Illinois and hot. So that's hurting me a little bit as far as the growth on everything. But um, that's that's been it. So right now, I'm basically, I got, I, we're trying to sell this rental house and we're going to do a flip on it real quick here in about 10 days. But that leads me into July and August. I love taking rides in the evening. I try to hit, I got 10, 11 farms. I try to ride, watch them farms, watch neighboring farms, try to find, see what velvet bucks are out there. I also, this time of year coming up here in the next 10, 15 days, I want to start getting some cameras out along some double crop, uh, you know, the later beans, pinch points in between fields, um, corners, creek crossings, um, just any kind of pinch point. You learn them on each farm each year where you can get some good pictures. So that's what I really want to concentrate on over the next month is taking my evening rides, looking at the crops, watching the deer, and then getting some trail cams placed to see what see what happens, see if anything, maybe maybe something a blow this year. You just don't know. So that's what I'm really excited about over the next month or two. Plus, I need to start shooting the bow, getting a little bit of gear ready, and uh, just start getting in a routine of shooting a couple evenings a week. And then come, come September up, usually September, just try to slip in on a rainy day and check them deer stands. You know, on a rainy day, I might even take off a day of work, day or two of work, because I feel that's very important is getting the right day or two to get in there in September, just check and make sure everything's good, go, good to go. And uh, that's basically where I'm at for the next couple months. And then at that time, September, October, I want to be getting my crops out. So that way, that later October, 1st of November, I can uh, be hunting. Right on. So one thing you didn't mention and – you're honestly one of the reasons why I started doing it to an extent was um, scrapes. Talking about yep. scrapes, building scrapes, and what you use for your scrapes and how you prepare them. Can you give me a complete breakdown on what you do for your scrapes and when are you prepping them? When are you getting them out there? When are you putting cameras on them? How are you utilizing them to hunt over or not? Um, can you fill me in on that? Yeah, basically, I mean, you've got spots. you got these same pinch points that you're running cameras all times of the year. The better spots where deer transition. If you want, I, I've got ropes hanging. I've, I've got tree limbs hanging from last year. Yeah, right now, dead ones, of course. And uh, But right now, I'll, I'll keep them mowed or sprayed this time of year if I get a chance. I've actually fallen behind a little bit right now. But that's something, too, that I, I need to be doing over the next month. It's kind of just opening that area up, making it, making that, gonna it's gonna stick out whether i take a bush hog in there and clean up a little bit along that edge and make 
whatever branch or rope you're going to hang, make it pop. You want it in there. It's got to be in the right area, but it's also got to pop, you know, the right height. It's got to be kind of, I've trimmed limbs around it to make that one main limb pop or the, you know what I, I you know, am I making that, that clear of what I mean by that? Uh, just what sticks out and yep. they, they just find it. I, I can remember, I, I think we've talked about this before. White pine is probably the best. I've used cedar. I've used rope. I, I found it was a vine. I'm not sure what kind, just a grapevine or whatever. It had broke and it was about probably six foot off the ground on a creek crossing going from a little bottom to a big bottom. And I can remember that little bitty vine of the size of my pinky had a scrape tore up under it, six, eight foot in diameter that they were just destroying. So it, it, it does matter what, but sometimes that, that was just location and, and how it was hanging there, I guess. But they loved it. It was, it was crazy that, that fall. That's been quite a few years ago. But yeah, I, I've, I've, uh, scrapes. Their, <laughs> their inventory, their, for us self filming, that's probably my, whenever I got into self filming, that's probably what led me to create next, the scrapes close to the stand is it stops the deer within shooting range. That's probably the huge thing because you, you got time to, to get, get them in viewfinder, zoom in a little bit, get draw back, look at the viewfinder. You got 10 seconds there while he's occupied and standing still. Right. That's, that's huge for us self filming in my opinion. And then and trail it's, cameras. And, and it's attracted them to within bow range of your tree stand. Yes, exactly. And, exactly. And that relates back to what you just said on visibility, make them big. Um, yes. make them, make them where you see them. And I want to, I want to go further on that. So I, I'm going to talk about white pine on scrapes and everything I'm going to be doing shortly, but, okay. um, so say you find an existing scrape that a deer made, do you go in and make your own scrape branch on top of that scrape or do you leave it as is and just enroll with it, hang a camera on it and call it good? It depends. Um, a lot of times, if it's kind of a natural limb like that, I'll trim up, and they're, they're already hitting it. I'll trim up a couple. If there's a couple along that same edge that they're kind of hitting, like within 10 foot of it, I'll make that, that one stick out. And a lot of times, I will go, like you said, I'll tie a white pine in there. I'll take some bale and string off of, off of a bale, and uh, I'll tie that white pine up and into that and make it even stick out more. Plus, for whatever reason, they love that white pine. I think that they eat it. <laughs> I sat there and watched them eat it as they're rubbing on it when you got a fresh one. And they, I think part of it is seem... because it's so damn soft. Yeah. You ever thought and about that? You know what I mean? Like Probably. Uh, it's easy for them to, to leave their scent and penetrate it with their, their uh, antlers, too, to rub on. Right. And it's not as it's not as rough feeling as, say, like cedar. Yeah. Um, that it's prickly, you know, versus white pine is super soft. Yep. And, yep. And I know last year was the first year that I've actually went pretty AWOL on doing scrapes. And I'm kind of in the same boat. I've done just about every type of branch, rope, vine, you name it, that's avail- readily mm-hmm. available in my area. And yeah, they hit it. And I get a lot of good, you know, trail cam videos and pictures and what have you. But, um, we bought a new farm last year that has, um, some white pines um on it and i'm like you know i'm gonna try try these out first time i mean really we don't have white pines around us hardly anywhere and uh so what i did is i cut those white pine branches and i hung them on scrapes that i made made them big visible like you said you trim out the other ones so they're not hitting other scrapes make that the one scrape they could they go to or want to go to 
and I zip tied them on there. And I'm absolutely blown away by how well they worked. Like I knew they'd work, but I didn't realize to the extent that they would. Um, yeah. They absolutely destroyed. And this is across five farms, people 30 mile radius across five farms. And the deer on every farm absolutely destroyed these white pine scrapes, destroyed them. And I'm talking on their hind feet, standing up in them, breaking them off to the point where they snapped the entire limb that the dang zip tied <laughs> white pine limb was on. And like you said, and then the white, all the pine needles are gone. They're eating on them. And um, I was just blown away by that. So going forward in this year, all my scrapes that I make are going to have white pines on them. 100%. And here's the other part that I never realized versus anything else I've used. And I think cedar does too, but the white pine, those needles stay green for a long time. So you're not using like an oak branch or a maple branch, maple leaf branch, and, you know, it d- dies off, the leaves fall, and you just got twigs hanging there. These white pine needles, they, I think mine stayed on there for two months, Joel. I think it was two it months. Just, a key is not getting them out there too early if it's dry. I put them out there to beginning of October one time, and they got they got a little dry and crispy by mid to, to late October. But yeah. I like that October fifteenth to really go in there and spice them up. But yeah. go ahead, sorry yep. to interrupt. Nope, nope, nope. You're exactly right because that's exactly when I did mine. Middle of October is whenever I created all mine. Um, yeah, I, I created middle of October, and they literally lasted that long and stayed green. And a couple of them I had to replace because the deer destroyed them so fast. And I'm talking daylight, you know, you name it, the deer were absolutely destroying these scrapes. And so going forward for this year, my goal on all my scrapes are going to have white pines. So how I build mine is pretty identical to what you've said. I make it like a, I mean, I make mine big. I make them five foot by five foot or six foot by six foot big visible scrapes. At least get everything void out of that area right there. And then, um, you know, I take a, a steel rake or a little aerator thing and run it across there, break up that dirt a little bit. Yep. And then I zip tie and zip tie my white pine on overhanging that, like you said, height wise on me, I'm five foot 10. I'm looking at getting those, those, you know, the tip of it down to about uh, chest level between my chest yep. and belly button level somewhere in there about my chest level. And, I like, yeah, chest to chin. I, I like yeah, it a little higher. You like it a little higher. Myself. Okay. I do. I do. Yep. yep. And, and I probably should do that too, because then they probably wouldn't destroy it as bad probably. But, yep. um, and then one thing I always do, I piss on all my scrapes. Um, <laughs> I haven't done that too much, but I know you said it. it I've it got, I've got, help. I've got years and years of footage of it, of me doing it. And it 100% works. And yep. here's my theory on it. I'm not a scientist. I can't tell you, but I can tell you it does work, and I've got video proof to prove it. Um, so I've had scrapes before, and one deer I want to rewind to in particular is a buck I killed in 2011 I called Rapper. Watched it for a long time, and that's when I started doing these scrapes um, and peeing in them. And what I have found is, like, there would be a scrape that they already made, okay? it There's a scrape already there. I hang a trail camera on it. Yeah, and they're hitting, missing it, and I'd see this buck every once in a great while hit it. And this scrape is within about 30 yards of my tree stand. I go in there after hunting one morning, I hang that trail camera on that scrape, and I, uh, I'm i sorry, the trail camera was already on that scrape. But I got out of the tree stand, went to that scrape, 
And I took my boot and I just ripped it open and I peed in it. And within 24 hours, that buck had been to that scrape, I think five or six times in nighttime and daylight. And then just a few days later, I ended up killing him. But he absolutely destroyed that scrape. And it got me thinking, like, well, it got me thinking, like, why, why did this aggravate him so bad? And I, and I, I come to the conclusion now, after all these years of doing it and watching it, that the deer cannot associate that with a human. The deer know each deer. So say Joel Eggers comes over to my house and you're a stinky person. I, I know the distinct smell of you. It's just like you came to my house. My house has a distinct smell. You know what my house smells like. Um, and if I go to your house, it's going to have a distinct smell. And it's going to be different smell to me, just like if you came in my house, it'd be a different smell to you, right? Mm-hmm. Well, a whitetail, I think, has the same thing. Granted, their senses are way better for smelling. So they come to that scrape, and they know all the deer in the area already. They live with them every day. So they know every single deer that's in the area pretty much. Unless, you know, get a, 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 a an oddball that comes in every once in a while. But here's me, the oddball, come in, and I pee in this scrape. And he's like, who is this? Who just who just pissed in my scrape and ripped it open? Like, now I'm pissed because I'm the dominant buck in this area. I'm King Kong. Who are you? I'm going to – I want you to come bring it on, you know. And I, He's trying to catch him around there. Yeah, I truly think <laughs> – I truly think that's what it is because it's crazy. It works. I, I, I That's the only thing I can come up with. That's the only thing yeah. I can come up with. And uh, – it's worked well, really well for me over the years. I will continue to do it till the day I die or done hunting um, because I could literally bore you to death with the trail camera videos and pictures I've got of deer just destroying it. Yeah. Right. And as far as you said about clearing other ones um, away from that scrape, trimming them up, that's definitely very important too because you go to field edges all the time. You see, you know, 15, 20, 30 scrapes across the whole edge of a field just scattered you know on every single overhanging limb down that whole field edge well in illinois you can't bait you can't use mineral you can't do none of that and that's one way that we utilize and are able to get pictures of certain deer or get an inventory you know we trim up those other branches that are overhanging within eyesight of that scrape and then get your camera get your scrape all set up so um Definitely, that's another thing I do. And right now, like you said, you're a little behind. I am too. I plan on going out there, at least knocking down the grass where I plan on putting the scrapes, and I'll probably spray a a decent spot there, kill everything off. So when I do go to work it later on, I'm not fighting all that thatch and, you know, super thick crap. It would make my life a lot easier at that point. Yep, yep. I know I did. I did prep a couple of them last week in the same deal. I, I was already trimming back new growth and Russian olives and such a group was growing out on a field edge. And, and yes, a lot of prep work goes into them, but they do work for archery hunting, which we love. That's our passion. Um, it gets them with the bow range. That's, that's a definitely a key to them. And one other thing I was going to add to hanging a looking branch, if you're in the timber or somewhere where you don't have any lower branches, I've shimmied up trees. I've show throw through line up in a tree, 20, 30 foot with a weight on it, get the rope around a branch and, pull it up tight, tie like a slip knot, and then get on top of the fuller or whatever I can find and tie my limb up up there as high as I can reach 
sometimes you got to climb up there again or whatever, adjust it and have it just hanging in the middle of nowhere, close to a trail there in the timber, you know, at that five foot to the bottom of it. And they can't tear it up then. They, they'll, they'll dance trying to get their rack. In it. Yeah. You know, that, that, well, that works well in my opinion. Too. Yeah. And if you just think about it from like, just our perspective, just imagine, you know, us walking through, let's say it's a big white Oak flat where, and they're, and they're big and they're big white Oaks. And, uh, you know, not a lot of no low, lower. lower branches exactly. and a whitetail or the buck is walking through this timber and they're, they all of a sudden see this big blob of branch there. You know, they're the deer are yeah. curious animals. They're like, what is that? So they go over there and they hit it. And once they hit it once, they know every time they come back in circulation of that area, that's the scrape. You know, that's where, you know, Joe just ripped that up. Joe below just ripped that scrape up and I'm going over there and, you know, showing my dominance and I'm going to go rip that scrape open. Next thing you know, exactly. you've got all your bucks on the property using that scrape right there. And exactly. uh, um, that's, def- that's definitely huge. Definitely. Yes. That's, yep. That's, and you're going to have that. It's probably going to be one of the main trails, depending on how you can enter or exit. And you're going to try to be within 25, 30, 40 yards of that main travel corridor anyway. So you put that there to enhance them to definitely come through there and give, get, get some stop there without having to, to uh, bleed and make a grunt at them to, to make them stop. Yep. And it definitely, so, yeah. it definitely leads in that direction too. Cause you know, one of my better spots is this, you know, really pinched down area. And when the, I, I have to hunt this spot on a certain wind, which is basically a South, anything South is good. And I want the deer obviously to be on the North side of me. And they can still come around on the back side of me, but I want them to be actually on the other side. So one of the ways I do that is I create a big scrape there, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with the white pines. And, I, and it's one of those where uh, this pinch area has just a whole bunch of oak, so there's not a whole bunch of uh, low-lying limbs hanging around on other trees. And so that has helped me over the years, definitely attracting the deer when they come up from their bed. They come up that pinch it's actually directing them to go that way to go check that <clears throat> which puts them in bow range and it puts them up wind of me or at yeah. a, or a slight cross wind um and, and that, i've that, even i've ahead. even got to where if i'm covering a bigger area and if you're up i still like to hunt high in certain situations but when i actually made one last weekend and it's on the it would be on the downwind side of my stand and on those i got to come across i'm gonna have a bush hog my trail coming in and I'll have another trail for them bush hogs, but it's it's basically my wind should blow right over top of them. If they do come behind me, now they're going to be pretty much within 20, 25 yards where the scrape's at, and they can't hardly get on the back side of that, but they do cut that edge sometimes. So I blocked up the trails a little bit, put that scrape at 25, so hopefully if they do get downwind, they'll be at 25 yet, and I'll be able to make the shot. And they shouldn't wind you. Most of the time, it seems like if they're at 20. 20 to 25, 30 yards, and you're up 25 foot, you're fine. If they get out there at 40 or 50 and you don't have high pressure, it seems like they're going to, they nail me. I don't care how many showers and how clean my clothes is. And when, if I didn't get dressed, how to the stand, I, they still smell me. I think it's it, uh, most of your odors, I think, come from your head. And I don't care how good you, know, you wash your face or hair within an hour or two, you've got odor coming out again. Well, that brings me to another topic. And I want to address this because this is something that you said a long time ago. And I've taken it to heart, and you don't you don't even know this, but you told me that you think a lot of it comes from your breath, mm-hmm. and 
that's something I never thought of. I th- always thought of hair, you know, every other pore you got on your body, body it's producing scent, which it is. And But you got this clothing on, and you can do all this scent stuff, crap, whatever. But it seemed like, and it and it worked to an extent, but not definitely not bulletproof by any means. But I'd noticed over the years that I used I usually never wear a face mask ever. Yep. And I know I was talking to you about that, and then I just got thinking about it more, and I'm like, man, you know that that kind of does make sense. And I truly believe, after testing this theory for like the last three or four years, that you are right. It seemed like when my face mask was down, I, I this I'm not making this up. I'm I'm telling you the <laughs> truth. When my face mask was down, or I forgot about it, or whatever, it's like I'd have deer come in and or big doe, and she'd bust me. Whereas I'd have my face mask up, and that doe would be in the exact same place, and like she might get a little skittish, but she doesn't know for sure, and she doesn't blow out of there. Whereas if I have my face mask down, it's like. Boom, that's human. See you. Goodbye. Um, yeah. I truly believe having your face covered with something. Um, and I wear, like, on the Sika jacket, it's got the built-in hoodie, uh, built-in mask on the hoodie. And I, I keep that over. And it, it uh, it's not solid, but it definitely helps uh, break down your, you know, you can't, like, blow through it real hard. Um, and see you. We talked about this, you said, years ago, and now I've gotten lazy the last couple of years and haven't been wearing a face mask much to where six, seven, eight years ago, I actually had some disposable ones, almost like the mask we've been having to wear this last winter for COVID, but it was a mask, same camouflage mask that had carbon in it or whatever it's supposed to help, and it did seem like it helped a bunch. I ran out of those, and I haven't bought or looked for any more, but that might be something to help me this year that this but you just said it and i've gotten lazy and i felt like i have been getting busted a little bit more last year too yep yep so that's something i need to get back into my game yep i've noticed i noticed two things one that that helps and obviously not smoking anymore helps um those two things both um i've noticed and the whole face mask deal like i'll swear to it um i'm not exaggerating I don't know why, but it's it's like I don't get busted hardly ever if I'm wearing my face mask up. Now, granted, I'm not talking about going out there and dose your hunting clothes and diesel fuel or, or whatever scent and say that you're not going to get busted because you wear a face mask. I'm not saying that at all. Do, no, do but we your, understand. Do, Every yeah. bit helps. Right. Every do, little bit helps. Right. Do your normal preparations as you always have, but on top of that, just make sure that face is covered. Get it covered as fast as possible, especially if you have deer out in front of you. Get something over your face until it's time to make a shot. Um, yep. I think that has helped me tremendously on on not getting busted. And I'm, when I say not getting busted, you know, the deer might spook out of there, but they're not blowing every ten steps out of the <laughs> out of the, to the next county. And you know what I mean? It's a hard bust versus a soft bust is what I'm going to call it. Yeah. So a soft bust is like they're just not quite sure. They're not running and snorting and or anything like that. They're just kind of skittish, and they turn around and go back to where they came. Um, I've noticed them doing that instead of just absolutely blowing out of there like, you know, someone's getting ready to kill them. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. So it's <laughs> uh, got to help. You brought, you brought that up, so I, I had to tell you that because that's something that I've done religiously. And one thing I do, and I'm sure you do too, but I pay attention to everything a deer does when I'm hunting. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not just looking at any deer just as any deer. I'm looking at exactly what they're doing 
I'm looking at their demeanor. I'm looking where they come from, where they're going, while they're, why they're doing that. What's the sun? What's the sun doing? Where's it at? What time is it? Uh, what's the wind direction? Are, are my thermals going up? Are they are they going down? Um, every variable I am paying attention to constantly the entire hunt. Um, learn it. Learning, yeah. learning. Yes. And uh, those are just a couple of things, you know, that I've picked up on over the just most recent years. Um, and the whole face mask thing, like I said, you talked about it, and, and I was in the same boat. I mean, I did – I watched – I tried every dang thing you can imagine. All those ozone crap, you name it, whatever. And not saying it didn't work to some extent, but wasn't that – All hell. Wasn't that yeah. great. And – because I would still get busted. But – when I started wearing that face mask, it's like, man, it's crazy how much. Well, just think about it. I mean, your breath. I mean, if we're sitting there having a conversation, we're talking, and you got a bad breath, I am I can smell that. Yeah, and, and just think how much. <laughs> yeah, and think about a white tail. What their number one sense is their nose. I don't know how many times greater it is than ours, but it's it's astronomically better. So if we can smell that, just think they definitely can. So keep 100%. it covered, and I don't mean exactly. to promote this whole COVID wear a mask thing. But uh, you're, in <laughs> no. a deer, you're in a deer stand, keep that mask on. <laughs> yep, yep. I'll be wearing one this fall. You you got me back in it, and and uh, I do when it's cold, but when it's warm, a lot of times I won't. But it, I think this year I'm going to because I've been noticing the last couple of years I'm getting busted more, and that could be it. Yep. You know, and I I get lazy and I get in a hurry, and you know most of the time I try to take a shower before every hunt. Yep. Um, I try to brush my teeth and even gargle peroxide a little bit just to, to help with that. But I haven't been wearing a mask, and that's something that I'm going to definitely do this fall. Yep, right on. Well, we'll definitely have to keep up to date on that and see how that goes. But, uh, hey, man, yeah. it's been a great podcast. I've enjoyed this. I can't believe we're already at the hour mark. But um, let's uh, keep in touch again, and good luck coming up this fall with uh, you hunting as well as your, your hunters there at Tri-County. And, um, yeah, we're going to be doing a whole bunch more updates with guys throughout the team. And I think we're finally kicking this off with all the, with all the deer hunting action and all the prep work. And next thing you know, season will be here. I know it. I love this time of year. I love taking, taking rides this time of year. I'm looking forward to it. Seeing what the fall brings. That's right. All right, Joel. Well, Hey man, you have a good one and tell Rachel I said, hello. Good luck this fall and talk to you soon. I'm sure. All right. I will do. See you, Joel. <laughs> Thanks.